Hello and welcome to this episode 22 of the Northern Invasion podcast. So, I am joined today by the winner of Scotland's most recent event, Fall of the Old World 5, which had 36 players. We have got our very own JP. Hey, Stu. Hello there, sir. Thank you very much for taking the time. To oh, no, thank you for having me. So, uh, before we go into your list or anything like that, or... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, or who you played? Um, well, maybe for those people who, who who don't come to our events too often, we'll we'll hear a little bit about yourself if that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you've been a bit, uh, I don't know, a part of the scene for uh, quite a while now. Um, at least 2017 when I met mm-hmm. you the first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember just just here we go. This this is me freestyling. You see, <laughs> um, I remember one of the fun, funny the earliest remember. Uh, memories i have is that do you remember at the six nations in 2017 we were in derby mm-hmm. yeah. and it was that that bonding and tactics talk where we all yeah. painted our captain's army oh, uh, yeah yeah <laughs> we all painting andy's ko in a little production line yeah it was pretty good and we all got to know each other and i remember that day we were going through everybody's lists and stuff and um and you were really really keen on getting um the the nagash list the oh, next yeah. day because oh, because man. you had the changeling, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd never really heard anyone doing that trick before. And the trick is, you know, you take the changeling knows the spells of any wizards within nine inches of them, and you can deploy them in your opponent's uh, your opponent's deployment. So you put the changeling next to Nagash. He knows Hand of Dust. You use the the you know your dice from your destiny dice to get a really high casting roll, which Nagash can still dispel, but probably won't. And then you try and Hand of Dust off Nagash. So, yeah, I really wanted the matchup because I really you wanted... Did, and we were all saying, no, no, no. Yeah. Because we were like, no, no, there's this tactics, there's this, that, and the other. And you're like, no, no, fuck it. We're just going to do this. I'm going to do it. And I remember the next day, um, everything just suddenly went quiet. And everybody started sort of like subtly walking sideways towards your <laughs> table. And I was like, what's going on? And so we all edged over and, and everybody was mumbling. Oh, he's done it. He's doing it. He's doing it. <laughs> and I remember going over and... Uh, it didn't. It wasn't as glorious as it could have been. But no, I mean, I, I think it was also, you know, credit to Tony and Nagash. I, I literally, I went around the corner, like out of the room, so that I could put the dice in my hand, like most subtly. Took an awkwardly long amount of time picking a hand. I came back in. He just immediately pointed to the correct hand, and I was like, right, right. It's a shame. I, I, I scavenged <laughs> a little bit because the changeling can also use the weapon of whoever he's fighting against in combat. So I used Nagash big staff and used the destiny dice to make the damage a six. So uh-huh. I still took off six of his wounds, which brings down his casting, and was actually pretty relevant. But oh, the glory of if I'd gotten that hand of dust turn one. I know against the big man himself, Nagash, yeah. and it was the England captain as well. Yeah. It would have been glorious. <laughs> oh man. So so how did you get into AOS then? And what sort yeah. of armors have you played over the years? So when uh back in eighth edition, a friend of mine, Phil who also is about at a bunch of these events. He's playing Skaven now with the Skaven book. He he started collecting Skaven. And I was like, at first I was like, well, I'm not going to play Warhammer. It sounds like it's for nerds. I don't know why I thought that. I played loads of World of Warcraft and other things. But um, so I was like, but I'll pick up a Carnosaur from the GW store and paint it. Because I was like, okay, that sounds like a fun thing to do. And then after I did that, I was like, well, I also now want some more. And then once you have some more models, you're like, well, I might as well be playing. And so that's sort of how I got into Warhammer there. And then... I played for a bit. I didn't really go to any tournaments or anything. And then I just sort of stopped for no real reason. And then when EOS came out, I was like, wow, the rules are so condensed that you don't really need to worry about anything more. I was like, oh, I should play some EOS. And my friend 
had uh, my flatmate had some zinch from eighth edition like still in his boxes and stuff and i was like well that's cool i really like pink horrors demons of zinch and that stuff and i went to gw and they were like yeah well they just had a new book and i was like oh perfect like and then obviously it so turns out that demons of zinch became like the best one of the best lists in the game which i think was probably conducive towards like getting me more into the hobby i was like wow i'm so skillful by turn (laughs) one removing any opponent's models that i so see fit um and then, yeah, it was, it was pretty fast getting straight into the national team with us as well, wasn't it? That's when it was like, that's <laughs> that how point, good Yeah, exactly. I just rocked up to the tournament. People didn't really know how it, the book worked. And it had like a bunch of tricks in it with the swapping places and, you know, pink horrors splitting into blue horrors and all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, so I, I think I went 4-1 at that tournament, played against a bunch of the six nations team lost to lee which then like became a bit of a tradition it all like he would just smash me in almost all the events i'd go to and yeah after that went to the six nations basically because you guys were like oh well zinch the zinch book is really powerful and new and here's someone who's playing it and i was like yes i've become 10 times more skillful since i started playing (laughs) zinch um so yeah and then i actually took a bit of a break after the six nations i think because it was just a bit of overload and just life stuff and then um just decided to get back into it with night haunt and haven't looked back since yeah you came back with a uh, legion of sacrament actually didn't you last time yeah uh, i think so I, went so the I, first I, time i saw you back yeah yeah so i took a sort of narrative i say narrative it had 60 grim gas <laughs> in it uh, uh legion uh night haunt list with the black coach and kurdos valenti and the king and i was like oh cool cool and i that's you know sort of it's a, th- a three two list and it was fun and then i was like I could just swap because Nagash was super popular. And I was like, I don't really want to play Nagash because I wanted to like maintain a little bit of hipster status. So I was like, I'll just play Arcan because he's smaller. And then I can fit in more Grimgast and more other stuff. And then, yeah, I just kept rocking that Sacrament list for a while. It was pretty good. It had, it like, it fell down versus the same sort of lists of like single hive armor um, models and stuff like that. But in terms of the grind, it just, it was very, very grindy. Like getting through those ghosts when they all regen every turn was cool yeah. which is part of the reasons i wanted to switch to flesh eater courts because i was like that's much more of a smash and grab than like the really slow long grindy games yeah no that's good so you're a bit known um for, well for us in the scene i suppose you're a bit <laughs> known for picking up the wins without necessarily killing loads of models yeah. oh, or taking God. a lot of kill points <laughs> because i mean you you've you've gone four and oh and scored zero kill points i mean that's yeah. a thing and yeah. I think when you won this, you were on something like 60 net yeah, 60. points. And I mean, if, can, what, and what that, can you tell us about that? I mean, what's your like, play style? How do you do this? So I'd say, look, I mean, this is going to sound immediately wrong. My play style is quite aggressive in terms of objectives. I like to play very aggressively for the objectives as soon as as hard as I can. And I think a lot of games, especially at tournaments, you know, they don't go all the way to... Um, the end of game five, and you know, the, the, you know, if you're if you're basically if you and your opponent are playing slow list, you might not go to turn five. And so I'm like, I'm gonna make sure I'm scoring in those turns one to three. Um, and also obviously, if it you know it goes to turn five, you you still want to be on the objectives. But yeah, um, I just in in that one particular one where I actually got zero kill points, you know, not even zero net kill points. It was actually zero total kill points. I did not kill yeah. a single opponent's unit. Um. I was, it was just the same thing. I'm grinding out objectives, and I was playing versus, you know, Nurgle and other Night Haunt, and we were just 
you know, versus the Nurgle, I was on minus one to hit and wound, re-rolling sixes to hit and wound. And so I would roll like 60 dice with Van Hells and then just do two wounds to Blight Kings. Yeah. Um, so, well, that's yeah. the thing. I mean, the game that where it is at the moment in AOS 2, you don't necessarily have to kill anything, especially as we've got this shift now towards strength of schedule as the first decider. Yeah. Yeah, 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 you can yeah. do well. At, you play the objectives, don't you? And that's the way you yeah. should be doing it, really. I agree. I mean, when I switched to Flesh Eater Courts, I was like, man, now I'm going to get some kill points, at least. All right. So, so all right, then, Flesh Eater Courts, then. What were your initial thoughts when you saw that book? So, actually, when I saw the book, so Skaven and Flesh Eater Courts obviously announced at the same time. Um, and I think what a lot of people thought, and maybe still think, is that Skaven have sort of the wider, more diverse book with a lot more sort of powerful options sort of in there things like thankwall's warp fire throwers and the warp lightning cannons and these like big amounts of mortal wounds um and i don't know like i think right now flesh eater courts is looking better i don't know if we'll see like more advanced like some new different skaven list coming out but when flesh eater courts came out i was like um yeah they look strong like they look like they've made the dragon lists viable and you're gonna have some really solid combat but if people can kill your dragons people are going to end your list, and that was sort of it. I didn't really, at first, take in how powerful the Gristlegore general trait was. Yeah. And I think both how strong it is and how it would... People have to play around it slightly differently. Um, and, like, I think it gets... It can be a little bit overhyped in that people are like, well, you can't even charge the dragon with two units because it'll kill both. And I don't think that'll really happen. It has two pylons, but it really needs both of those pylons to kill one tough sort of thing so if you're talking about big blocks you know other dragons if you charge it with two dragons you'll kill it now that doesn't mean it's not powerful obviously you need to put two dragons into it and if you lose one not a great trade but i I didn't really recognize the power i think as soon as the book came out but then there was that first event where ben johnson went five zero and tony moore went four one both playing gristle gore and i was like okay i should try that and then i took it to follow the old world also went five zero and i mean i think that really does show a lot of the power of the list because no matter how good i might want to think i am like that was my first event with the with the army and i was playing against some good people but it just yeah well, you were, built in you were the only one who went five and oh at the event but i mean yours isn't quite the same as everybody else and and i've heard talk that hashtag cops can't matter is a thing or is now, is gonna be a thing now in the future. I, I have gotten a lot of flack <laughs> <laughs> bringing the corpse guard so the corpse guard gives all your wizards within 18 inches plus one to cast and this you know the, and especially your courts they have easy cast values you know most almost all this stuff is on six i think a couple are on five and that's a pretty number to reach but like if you're if you're just if you and another wizard you're rolling the spell and they're trying to dispel it just no modifiers you got about a 50 50 chance of making like a six you know, because you, you got you're pretty much guaranteed to get the six, but then so I like they got a good chance of beating it. The corpse card brings that up to like sixty six percent chance, so two thirds of the time you'll beat them. And also just the amount of times you just you roll the five when you need the six. I played against um, Skaven recently, and it came up three times. Three times during the game, I rolled fives when I need sixes and got them because of the corpse card. Um, the argument against it, obviously, is it increases your number of drops. That's the big thing, and. Controlling the first turn is very important for Flesh Eater Courts. So it's sort of just a question of how much do you value the go- going from five to six drops, where a lot of armies do hit that five drop spot. But when I was at Fall of the Old World, it 
I always, it never came up. I only played against Lee, who had the five-drop army, and uh, I lost the role for deployment versus him anyways, so in that case, it wouldn't have mattered. So it's it's sort of, you know, it's just a question of, do you think you're going to roll more of those fives when you need sixes, or do you think you're going to play against more people who have those five-drops? You know, maybe if your local meta is loads of people playing the battalions that are five-drops, you'll be like, it's not worth extending my drops for it, but I love it. I, I think it's really good. Yeah, I think I think five drops is the sweet spot, really. If you're under five, yep. uh, you're in a good place, really. And yep. nine times out of ten, you're gonna get you're gonna get that first. Uh, well, you're gonna get the choice. Yeah. Um. So so okay then. So uh. So talk us through your list then before we go into the uh before we go into the event the actual event itself. Uh, mm-hmm. What did you take and and how how does what was the thinking behind how that was gonna work going into it? What was the yeah, yeah. initial theory? So I think like. Like a lot of times when these books come out, the uh, some early shapes of list become pretty obvious straight away from people reading the book. So my list was pretty standard. It was the um, Ghoul King on a Zombie Dragon, Ghoul King on a Terror Geist. So those are your two dragons, two Arch Regents, which you're bringing basically because they are so crazy points efficient with their summoning. And then the Ghoul Patrol, ghoul patrol uh, formation, which is a little ghoul hero, Crypt Gas Courtier, three units of ghouls. And then... I also had the Corpse Guard, obviously, and I had the Chalice Endless Spell, um, which basically heals your dragons as they kill uh, infantry and stuff like that. So that's a pretty standard Gristlegore build, I think, that came out that people were like have worked on variations of. And did your Ghoul Patrol have the minimum of 10, 10 in yeah. each unit? Yeah, yeah, it was 3 times 10. When I first made the list, I initially had... I think one unit of even of maybe even 30 or 20, but really you just, the Flesh Eater Quartz book is set up so that you are paying a lot. Like ghouls are 100 points for 10, and they're worth 60. Um, yeah. But because the army has so much summoning in it, the points are higher. And um, really using those minimum units like helps you put, fit more stuff into your list. And also the list, I think this is reasonably important. The list is 1,900 points which gives me three command points, four command points on turn one. You really need those command points for your double pile-ins, re- you know, maybe rerolling your charges on turn one when you're doing that alpha strike. And the other thing, actually, I think that's a little bit underrated with a 1900 list is the triumphs. You've got a two out of three chance of you know, getting hits or wounds, like a plus a damage increasing triumph. And the difference that can make when you're like an alpha strike army, like one of my games I played versus Nagash, and turn one I got... I rolled an 11-inch charge, and I managed to get the zombie dragon into Nagash. And unfortunately, I'd rolled saves for my triumph, but I got Nagash down to two wounds. So if I rolled either hits or wounds, I was almost guaranteed to have killed Nagash turn one, and that probably would have been, you know, almost the game immediately because I also killed almost all the Grimghasts, and so that just that just would have been that. And so I think being at 1,900, or some people are even doing 1,850 lists and making sure you get that triumph, I think is actually super, super important. Yeah, no, I'd agree, and I think, as you said there, the Arch Regent, with that flexibility, if the mission, yeah. if the scenario is such that you need bodies, then you just pull in 20, 20 ghouls mm. each, and if not, then you've got you've got the options of the, it's a courtier or three knights, isn't it, the yeah. couple? Yeah, 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 yep. and so, yeah, like, so... no, sorry. Um, uh, no, I was just going to say, so, if you're playing versus low bravery armies, like Skaven, uh, Dryads, um, or Grotz, you can summon in you can summon in, including the Terror Geist, you can summon in nine, nine extra flares to your list. 
and a lot of that thanks to the free summoning from and that flexibility like you're talking about from the arch regions and it's just so good like they they pay for themselves and you know they bring i think what's actually funny is they bring the plus d3 attacks spell which is very good but a lot of times you'll get that off on turn one then your dragons are flying way out of range of your um your throne where your arch regents were and you won't get it but what i've been doing is then the next time i put the d3 attacks on an arch region himself and i'll send them okay. into anything like i send him into 30 grimgast and he's got seven wounds he heals three wounds a turn and he's not a slouch you know if you give him plus d3 attacks he can be doing 10 attacks on threes and threes which you know it's not wiping anything like it's not the sort of infinite damage we expect from aos units but it'll kill chaff it'll kill a chunk of stuff and he's tanky enough to take it so i think it's really that summoning though that you you're, you're paying for and mm-hmm. and part of it is what you're saying that flexibility heroes on hero missions you know flares maybe if you need damage or mobility and ghouls on uh missions where you need bodies and did you pop it turn one every time did you yeah, just every, let it straight away yeah yeah so no. the standard deployment is to deploy for me at least i would deploy the um arch regions about eight inches away from the throne or well they could be closer but basically the idea was eight inches is the minimum distance they that means if they go six because they got a move of six, a run of at least one inch, and they need to be within one inch of the throne. So you don't want them outside of eight inches on turn one. And I'd ideally have them outside of 30 inches of my opponent to make sure that they didn't get any attempts at unbinding and cast all my spells in the hero phase and then just run them onto the throne turn one as far as they would go. And then after that, I just immediately run them out and try and actually get them into combat. Keeping them safe is just is not really that important. It's hard to get in range of your dragons. To, to get that plus d3 attacks on them again often and so you might as well be doing something with those bodies that sounds pretty uh pretty solid for for going into it so we understand the uh the theory there so follow the old world was it was in the realms it was five yep. games over two days um now the missions and realmscape features and things were drawn in advance yeah. After after lists were submitted, and mm-hmm. I think this is a bit of a trend that I hope carries on because for those people that uh, that aren't you know that aren't um, tournament regulars or or are still becoming familiar with the game, it gives them that week or two to, yeah. to read up on the specific Absolutely. missions so that you can go in knowing what the five games are. Mm-hmm. So we had uh, five games. I'll I'll quickly say what the five were to jog sure. your memory, <laughs> and then. Uh, and then uh, we'll we'll see what you remember from each. So game one was focal points in mm-hmm. the realm of Shaish, and we had the Aetherquake aftershock, which was the plus one to cast. Yes, even more um, corpse cart. Oh, lovely! Yeah, uh, free corpse cart there. And then game two, <laughs> game two was a uh, scorched earth in Gairan with seeds of hope. So that was the one where. On a one on your battleshock test, nobody yep. ran, and if there was an injured unit, um, you fully healed any injured wound, uh, uh, any, <laughs> injured wound. <laughs> any uh, wounded model. Um, three was star strike in Gur, so we had beasts. Um, oh, yeah. So everybody got a beast each, and we had primal violence. So after the combat phase, you rolled the dice. And on a six, it all happened again. And that happened three times for me, which was wow, wow. fun. When I'd given my opponent um, uh, a dreadmaw to hit me with. Um, 
And then <laughs> number four was uh, Total Commitment, which was in Haish, and it was Domain of Symmetry and Purity. So okay. everybody who wasn't Order was minus one to Bravery. Mm-hmm. And then finally, we had Three Places of Power in Ulgu, and much to the pleasure of all those Ballista um, <laughs> out in Stormcast lists, uh, it was Shrouded Lands, so there was no there was okay. no restriction uh, on light sight and stuff. So I don't know how much you remember or who you played. Yeah. So this is this is going to be great for me because I've not heard <laughs> anything from you. So what can you yeah, remember yeah. of game one then for your so, focal points and yeah. and Jaish? So you're like game one. You're often hoping you're like, okay, I'm just up against, you know, you know, it could be could be anyone. You're like often you're hoping you get into the tournament with a nice easy game. Game one, which I definitely didn't have because in my game one I was against Nagash and sixty Grimgasts. And <laughs> I remember that list. I mean, as we were talking about, I played sixty Grimgasts, so it can it's only fair. Like I can't complain about it. But I was like, well, the Dragon Rend doesn't matter. It was in Shaish, so even Nagash can make himself unrendable, and like unrendable in the gash nothing in my list will even put a dent in him like i could charge him he could just run the gash into the middle of the table i charge it with my whole army and i wouldn't kill it with you know the three up re-rolling ones unrendable six up uh save afterwards so that was yeah, you plus, know, your plus there's that command ability where even if you damage him he can then oh, just yeah, suck yeah. the life force yeah. out of a unit <laughs> and reheal himself to full uh straight away in the her- next hero phase so <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. unkillable exactly so so that was daunting um it's game one though so you get a while to think about your sort of plan and i you know i get the advantage of going first and i sort of had figured that i'm just gonna deploy in the middle run on to the central objective which is worth two points and hold my two objectives and then just fight as much stuff as i can fight basically um and so and also to try and tie up grave sites if I can, so that anything I kill doesn't immediately come back. So my turn one, I got, um, he deployed a little bit back, and I got a nice, I rolled a six for my run when I had run in charge on the Parageist, and I got a reasonably long charge, and I got into unit of 30 Grimgas, and I had, I think, plus two attacks or something on my Terrorgeist from the spell, and I killed, I think, 19 or something of them, and the rest fled from Battleshock because it was turn one, so they didn't have the Nagash command ability yet. And so that was that, so far, that was looking good. I managed to get on the objectives. He deployed quite aggressively with his gravesite, so it actually was on basically all four of them. And I was like, wow, this is really good. Really good start for me. Like, I'm in a really strong position. And then on his turn one, he hand of dusted off my general. And, <laughs> you know, continue, I've never guessed a hand of dust right, including the one time I cast it. So, so that that wasn't... That wasn't great. Um, and so he handed dust off my general, which cleared off his gravesite. So he brought back the 30 grim gas. And so at that point, I was sort of looking at the table and I was like, right, this is you know a bit of a dramatic swing. He made himself unrendable. He charges into my other dragon. I luckily, I had doppelganger cloak on it. So it didn't die that turn to Nagash's combat, but immediately got handed dusted off in the second turn. So at that point, I was so both my dragons were dead. Um, this is my first Flesh Eater Chords game. <laughs> I've effectively killed nothing on the table. Everything's still alive. Um, and I'm like, okay. I'm like, well, this is a good test, right? I sort of, I, I thought I was going to lose at this point. I was like, this is a decent test of like, how do you play in the matchups where your dragons can't just kill everything on the table and you don't have to worry about anything except for dice. Um, 
So basically what I did then, a little bit of what I was, I would just ended up tagging the Grim Gas with as many units as I could as awkwardly as I could. So they had the corpse cart in the back corner of them. They had both arch regents in the side. And because they're not getting those rerolls versus the single models, and they can't really pile in because they're sort of, ta- like, you can't, you can't get massive pile-ins, they sort of were stuck on the middle objective, which isn't bad because they're scoring two points. But I had, I think at that point, still three of the objectives. So then I had 20 summon ghouls fighting a dog, fighting five dogs for an objective. I had one summoned Vargulf courtier who was holding up his other five dogs. And I had my other summoned 20 ghouls holding who just like the longest strung out tag on his other unit of grim gas who had three summoned horrors also <laughs> tagging them awkwardly. So it was basically just a question of like, could I hold him up in those awkward combats for long enough to score enough points to win? And I think in that game probably came down to the fact that I won turn three priority and I was able to score one last time and we didn't have time for another two turns. And so I don't think he couldn't have caught up with me on turn four. Um, and so I think we just sort of called it there and it was just basically the, what won me the game was tagging all his units so that they just couldn't, they couldn't extricate themselves to get to score more and they couldn't just wipe me out in one round of combat. It's interesting though, like you say there, to, to be faced with that on your turn too, where you've yeah. lost your two big hitters and it's yeah. like, right, well, what can this army do? Yeah, 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 so, yeah. Oh, that's really good. It's it's good to hear that you can uh, you can pull something out of the bag, and a lot of that comes to tactics, as you say, and holding things up and and positioning your models right so that they can't maximize their yeah. pylons and just cut yeah, you yeah, down. Yeah. I think in some ways it's like a little bit of an advantage. Like you get into that situation. Part like part of me, as soon as my dragon died, I was like, I might as well concede. And I was like, come on now. I was like, you got you know play it out. Play you play you know play the mission. And I was like, well, look, okay, well, I definitely can't kill anything, right? I was like, that's off the table now. Nothing, like, I can't. So I was like, oh, what I need to do is I need to be on objectives and I need to stop his grim gas getting on the objectives. So in that way, it was sort of quite a simple exercise for me of just like, okay, how well can I do this? And so, and, and you know, you obviously have to get a little bit lucky with the dice and and then pulled it off. I think that's good generalship, sir. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> so in game two then, so you, you ah. pulled that out and you'd still not seen the full potential of your no. uh, your beasts, yeah. I suppose. And then we hit Scorched Earth. So that's that's always a tricky one because you've got six objectives to be thinking about. Yep. Three to defend, three to attack. You can't just charge in and burn them turn one anymore. Um, yeah. We're in Gairan. I don't know whether or not that's going to be uh, too important for, uh, for you. Uh, seeing yeah. as it's not got that many... Um, uh, multi-wound units well none <laughs> yeah, really, yeah, yeah apart from your uh, if you pull any knights in yeah um, so how did how did that go for you then well continuing on the theme of the first one i charged in turn one and i charged in with both dragons this time uh just like rolled better to get both dragons in and I, char- I was against skaven i was against okay. uh, john Bates skaven and he deployed uh with two screens of 20 rats in front and then one unit of 20 clan rats in the back all around the null hole, ready to get teleported. And then all his heroes, his cannons, um, sort of safe behind his screens. And so I was sort of like, this sort of came up a couple of times, I think. I was like, I don't know, maybe the play is to let him go first, waste a turn of his shooting and his range damage, and then I can sort of counterattack. But I was like, one, 
I might like deploy wrong and slightly mess that up or leave myself out of threat or he might not move. And two, he has that warp lightning vortex that stops me from running or flying. So I was yeah. like, I was like, I, I was like, it's too risky. I was like, I'll just run it down mid. It, it, maybe I'll only be fighting clan rats, but at least I'm fighting something. So I just charged both the dragons down, got them both into clan rats, used all, you know, all my command points to get four pylons and um, killed 60 clan rats. So all three units of his, basically his scoring units were all dead on turn one. And then in his turn one, he killed both my dragons. Um, so we got, and we how came, did he kill the dragons? What was so it that did just, it? It's just the amount of shooting and mortal wounds from spells. Just pounded yeah. them with mortal wounds. It's and strong like, that way. Even the little guy, the little bombardier shot him with some sort of gun and did, it's like D6 damage. It's a six. Down goes the dragon. <laughs> so, um, so this was my second game where I was like, okay, I, I did kill a lot of clan rats, but now all my, my, both my dragons are dead. So I ended up actually, I used the realm spell to teleport my arch regent sort of into his back lines and basically just used him. And so I also summoned two units of 20, uh, one unit of 20 ghouls, one unit of three flares to help with uh, the low bravery scabe and stuff to use the screams. Um, to threaten his objectives. The flares instantly died to the HPA, which I did not realize how much damage it would do. And then the 20 ghouls... That's the helper, isn't it? That is yeah, just yeah, the helper, isn't it? It charges yeah. in and it minces everything. Yeah, well, I knew it had that thing that scales to the number of models, so I was like, I don't want to put 20 ghouls over here because they'll just take 20 mortal wounds or something. Um, so I was like, three flares, that should be good. So he went in and he was like, okay, one mortal wound per model on a two plus. I was like, okay, three mortal wounds, that's okay. And then he just rolled the rest of the attacks and they all died. And I was like, <laughs> well, that's a short, sad story. Um, so um, in, the, in the end, basically, it was sort of similar to the first game in that I was scrambling under objectives, got lucky with priority rolls, and managed to score enough with things like the Arch Regent charging on and you know close, fighting in close combat with a um, Warp Lightning Cannon, I think, and a small Skaven hero. Uh, and pop my triumph for that because like it was quite an important um combat and winning won the priority role scored enough and then so he killed most of my stuff and then he was basically using skaven movement shenanigans and stuff to come to my side of the board and clear me out but and another shout out to the corpse cart i had he was trying to take my objective but i had the corpse cart and an arch region on it and he was trying to take it with one warp seer so he didn't matter which one he killed he killed the corpse cart disrespectful but um it still meant i was holding the objective with the arch region so um it was basically again scrambling to see how much i could get on objectives um while i kept scoring um and uh in the end i won the priority to get one extra turn of scoring which i think we called the game yeah oh well well it's good to see so you you face the new skaven there then yeah yeah, and then the final game on uh, on day one was Star Strike in the realm yeah. of Gur, so this is where we get the primal violence. And what yeah. were you what you up against in uh, in game three then? So in game three, I was against Ross's Legion of Blood, so oh, Vordry, yeah. um, the Ethereal Vampire Lord Dragon, thirty Grim Gas, ten Grim Gas, and then I think ten zombies and a unit of dogs, I believe, and then also one Dread Saurian from him and one zombie dragon from me for the realm of beasts <laughs> and um 
that was funny. So I realized on sort of, so I did my usual. I just turned one, charged in. I think I killed like 20 Grimgas and 17 of them came back from being like from, you know, death resurrection shenanigans. And I thought I was being clever, but I maneuvered myself so that the Dread Saurian would be closer to his unit. So it would actually not attack me. But I left my own unit after it killed his 10 zombies. Uh, was just way closer to my army and just ended up wiping out my various units of ghouls. Um, so that was a slight miscalculation. Um, that game, I would say, was the first game where it was just Bristle Gore is very strong. So I had two dragons. He had two dragons. The dragons fought, and Gristle Gore dragons sort of, they go twice, and they go first, and they won the combat. There was sort of wasn't much. I was fighting the ethereal dragon, which could have been a hard fight, but the terror guys, because he does six mortal wounds on a six, I just rolled two sixes, and yeah. it was just, you know, me, me and Ross were basically just looking at it, and we were like, well, like, nothing, neither of us did anything particularly special or tactical here. It's just, did you manage to get the sixes versus the dragon that you needed the sixes? And it was like, yes. And so that killed him. So, me, <laughs> I, it, was a, it was a fun game. We were just sort of, we were duking it out, killing everything. He got both of my dragons to one wound each, which was incensed him. And would have put me into the hugely negative net kill points if that game... I would have been on minus 800 at the end of the tournament if both those dragons had died with one wound. <laughs> um, uh, but that, that was the game where it was just like, if your only options for dealing with the, the dragons are melee, you, I think you have to play the game in a different sort of way. Yeah. Like, I think, like, like you have to be saying, okay, I'm trying to put 30 Grimgas and a dragon into, one of, into the Gristlegore general. Because he's squishy. Like, he dies really fast. But you need to have at least two things that both survive one round of attacks from a dragon into combat to make sure you get the attack. Yeah. No, no, that's uh, that's definitely good advice. So, so day two after I, I, I don't know whether or not you went out or not. I was, I was poorly. So I, I was in bed by nine o'clock. I was, I, I was sleeping 10, 11 hours a night all week so so i i was in bed i was a i was a lightweight and uh so i don't know who went out or what fun was to be had i'll find out at the next uh the next uh chat when we do our next episode but so day four uh day two for game four was total commitment so this is yep. another one that spreads your army as as, yeah. as wide as you can um it it depends who you play in if you i suppose if you flesh eat as whether or not um it's impactful that you have to have all your all your um yeah, your yeah. models on the table and we were uh well you were minus one to your bravery i suppose and it's yeah. high so you you have that you always have the uh the potential i suppose gristlegore thinks about the um the, the speed of light command yeah. ability so what were you against in this one i suppose if somebody was on three nil you were playing against uh a competitor yeah I was playing against my second Nagash of the tournament. Um, so, again, it's a, this was the more conventional 30 Grimgast, 40 Skeletons um, Nagash list. But, again, a spooky matchup, I think, for Gristlegore. Because you do want sort of your spells, your chalice, stuff like that to keep your dragons okay. And Hand of Dust is always scary. Um, but that was the game where... So, I deployed, I did the maths wrong in my head and deployed my arch region a little bit too close. So he was technically in possible dispel range, which meant that my opponent just uh, deployed Nagash really close to his front line. So behind just one little line of Grimgas um, uh, to get in range of one of my arch regions. And so that was the game on turn one. I rolled an 11 inch charge on the zombie dragon, got in Nagash. Um, 
uh, got Nagash to two wounds. Made me very sad because I got him to two wounds and had three jaw attacks left. And I was like, well, these are three rend D6 damage, right? But I rolled uh, saves for my triumph. And I just missed. I just missed all all three attacks. And so Nagash lived to, to fight another day. And did you not have the um the ability where you got to re-roll hits or do you have that? Uh, that, that, that only goes on the terror guy. So the terror guy gets oh, an ability right, got to hit those jaw. The zombie dragon, the one you can get one that lets you re-roll the damage on his jaws, but okay. the one I think most people tend to take that I took is plus one rend on right. all the dragon weapons. Yeah, they don't give you the re-roll draw attacks for the dragon, which is sad because yeah. it is really, really good. Um and so turn one. Going into Nagash, so he's on two runes, which is good, but not amazing. Uh, killed 30 Grimgash with Battleshock again. And I think the reason that um, the speed of light didn't come up is because Nagash is a command point heavy army. They have to spend that one command point on the Nagash ability every turn, basically. Like, you can't really let that go. It's so powerful. And they also spend it on bringing, obviously, units back from the dead. So in that one, um, I killed the Grimgash. I killed the Skeletons. I lost both dragons, then those units came back, and we were sort of tussling over the objectives, but Nagash, because Nagash is, wants to be quite central, he left um, his faraway objective free, or with only five dogs. I scored that, I think, for one or two turns with a courtier and some ghouls before Nagash went over there and then cleared me off it, but it was, um, again, I got completely tabled in that uh, in that game, but I had scored enough points um, by holding his objective for enough turns that he couldn't catch up by, I think by, yeah, by turn four, uh, he wouldn't have been able to catch up um, because there was, he couldn't hold all four of the objectives for two turns, so so yeah. got the win there. That's pretty solid. So so then the one that a lot of us were, were dreading, the final, the final one was three places yeah. of power. Yeah. Um, now it's in Olgu, so that was that that was irrelevant really, apart from the spells and the command abilities. Mm-hmm. But the actual realmscape feature didn't do anything. Um, but it was three places of power, so it banked on having resilient um, yeah. characters or <laughs> efficient <laughs> screens. Um, uh-huh. So, so what did uh, what did you come up against in the final game then? I was against um, Daughters of Cain. With Marathi, Lee's Daughters of Cain, which is a, you know he's a scary player and it's oh, a scary you list. tonight. He is. I've, I've yeah, played him in two of my last three events yeah. and he smashed me up both. Yeah, no, same thing. He did like uh, the la- I think um, the last two times I played him, which were at my last two events, both games we both ran towards each other. Um, we fought. We rolled for turn two priority. Um, Lee won it, and then he smashed me off the board, and then I conceded. And I think that was like very quick games. Um, where we both just were in there fighting, and uh, Lee's like deployment and choices were just better than mine, and he just killed me. So I think at that point I'd already because I had four wins, I was like pretty pleased because I think if you're going four one in an event, you're like generally you're pretty stoked. And yeah. so I think a lot of the times the difference between four one and five zero can be like oh you know you got a bad matchup, bad mission, something like that on the last game. Um, so I was already pretty pleased. So I felt like pretty like I was up for whatever. Um, I was scared of Marathi because she will absolutely destroy my dragons because I cannot, like, it doesn't matter if I go first because I can only do three wounds to her. And um, 
Yeah, there's no point double piling in on yeah. Marathius. Yeah, exactly. And she will she overkills the dragons in one turn of combat. So um but in this matchup, um the way that Lee played it is he was using Marathi to hold one of his objectives. So that meant I had a little bit more free reign on the other objective. So he sort of he had heroes on all three. He had two blocks of 30 witch elves protecting his heroes on the left and right objective. And the middle objective, he basically th- used a throwaway hero, 10 witch elves, to score it for one turn before giving it to me. Um, which, I think, which I think makes sense, basically, because it gets you one point uh, that, you know, th- and that can be uh, relevant later. So one thing I did was I, because I couldn't score his objective because it was screened by witch elves on the first turn, I used the spell, the shadow spell, Etheric Tendrils, which... Ah, yeah. Just D3 mortal wounds, and then if it's a hero or a monster, you can move it up to four inches. So I used yep. it on his um, Slaughter Queen on a Cauldron of Blood to move it four inches so he was no longer scoring the objective. <laughs> You're a bad um, man. <laughs> and then I wiped out uh, basically all the Witch Elves who were on that objective, um, and I scored the middle one as well. And I think at that point it was sort of it. I also summoned in 20 ghouls and a hero to threaten the objective that Marathi was on so that she wouldn't be able to leave it. Like she couldn't leave it without me threatening to immediately take it. And then I got charged by 30 witch elves, my zombie dragon who's holding the objective, and I popped Doppelganger Cloak, which essentially won me the game because Lee couldn't kill then my zombie dragon who's holding the objective. He actually missed the whole, because of the amount of activations he had, he missed the whole activation on the witch elves because of the doppelganger effect um the zombie dragon piled in attack twice killed most of the witch elves enough that he wasn't hugely threatened um to instantly die and then at that point it was basically i I killed the slaughter queen and then there weren't enough heroes so then at that point lee was like okay well i'll just i'm gonna get kill points and he just ran marathi off the thing instantly killed my um zombie dragon and then decided to kill i think maybe it was the corpse cart um instead of one of my more expensive characters which allowed me to barely sneak into positive for net kill points um at the end of the event but uh that actually i mean me and lee talked about it at the end of the game and, and he was basically saying if he was playing it again he would have let me go first and he would have used marathi to just clean up my dragons and i think it would have been a very hard game for me to win and that's just that's just a classic like you know it's a new army it's a new army with a very strong effect in it that like changes the way you have to play the game. Because he was saying, he was like, I would deploy like this versus any other army, and I'd be safe, but the amount of damage and the always going first from the dragons means you just have to play in a slightly different way. And I think Marathi is a good tool for dealing with Crystal Gore. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, the, the, like, again, that was another example, though, of fighting Crystal Gore into a combat army that doesn't have shooting or particularly good magic or debuffs or something like that. I mean, that's that's the thing. It sounds like you've not gone against something there that's got... Well, Nagash is a good, strong magic user, so I'm not going to say he isn't, but if you've got a heavy shooting army or a a strong magic army that that can dish out some mortals, you're in trouble, really, aren't you, if you're relying on a Terra Geist and her? Yeah, 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 absolutely. That's why I I sort of liked in the event that I did play against the two Nagashes, the one Skaven and have to do those games where I couldn't just rely on the dragon. So I think it was a good test Definitely. of the list. 
And I think two two of those games losing the Dragons turn one. I mean, you've definitely uh, you've definitely played your way out of it. So so no, congratulations, sir. <laughs> thank so, you. Thank so you. a couple of things there then. So the Chalice, how did that do for you um, through, through the five games? I uh, didn't do anything no. um, because so. Um, I mean, I recently played a Skaven game where it was very good. Like, Dragon got down to three wounds and then healed for 11. But um, the issue was, obviously, I summoned it in game one when I killed the Grim Gas and it healed my dragon back up to full, but my dragon got Hand of Dusted. And um, versus in the other games, it's sort of, it's hard to get it necessarily into range on your first turn. So you're waiting for that second turn. And then, I mean, in some game, my dragons were already dead by then. And also, at that point, you're competing for uh, dispelling. So, like, I tried to summon it versus Lee so that I could heal off killing witch elves, um, and he just dispelled it. You know, like, yeah. no, there's no... Even even with my blessed corpse card, um, I still didn't, <laughs> still didn't get it off. So, I think it's a very powerful spell, and you definitely do want it, but it's not... As opposed to say the warp lightning vortex for Skaven, where they've got they've got a oh, they, yeah. they can put Thankwall on Arcane, they can be on plus three, and they can drop it, and it makes a huge impact. You're really the the chalice is like you're you're hoping to get it off, and it will be good at keeping your dragons alive once it's up. But in certain matchups where the where the level of damage is just at sort of normal AOS levels, it it's going to be hard for it necessarily to work. Like I don't regret taking it but if i hadn't had doppelganger cloak if it was the next turn and i was facing 30 witch elves no amount of healing is going to keep my dragon alive like no. it's going from 14 to zero immediately so you'll want it in those games where you're like okay my dragon has fought off you know maybe finished fighting 30 grim gas and has taken half of its wounds and then you can immediately heal back to full like the, and i and I, so i wouldn't drop it from the list but it's it's not uh, I think of it, it's sort of like a bonus if you're getting the healing from it rather than something that you really need in the list for certain. And what do you think about those other those other two endless spells um, that yeah, they've the got? Did you consider those? The, yeah, the, the... yeah, I definitely. Uh, the Corpse Mare Stampede obviously got a lot of look in it. You know, you roll over the model's wounds, you do a model wound. If you roll a six, you do D3. And it's five dice. Um, and the thing that I basically thought was... Um, the, the overlap, the sort of Venn diagram of things that have a low amount of wounds and things that are vulnerable to mortal wounds is very small. So, like, versus Stormcast, you're sort of saying, okay, if I, you know, say you're hitting Evocators with it, you're like, okay, if I roll above a three, so four plus, I do one mortal wound. It doesn't even kill an Evocator. Um, and I think if you were playing an army, like, I know people talk about bringing it in the gash. And I think that makes a lot more sense. You've got plus three to cast. You've got a lot of spell slots. So you can be like, okay, I'm going to throw this on your character. I'm going to fish for sixes. And maybe I roll three sixes and I just kill your hero without, you know, a big investment. I think as um, Flesh Eater Quartz, you're not guaranteed to cast it. And you're not guaranteed to cast it from a wizard that isn't doing sort of something else. And so I think for that reason, and as well as the fact that it's an endless spell that can be then turned and used on your dragon... And you know that when you cast it, you won't roll any sixes, <laughs> and they'll put it on your dragon, they'll roll all of them. So I think for that reason, I didn't really bring it. I think the barricade is actually pretty good. I like bar- I like those sort of endless spells that are a big part of them is using them to just chaff up your... Like, what does that one even do? Because I've not even um, read that one. I actually, I forget exactly <laughs> what it does. Um, is it an obstacle in it? Yeah, yeah it, I think it's like, it gives you the cover rule for shooting, and... Um, 
maybe it makes you minus one bravery. I think maybe it halves your movement, actually. Mm-hmm. It might be an, a movement debuff. But a big part of it, yeah, I think it is a movement debuff. Um, but a big part of it is also the same thing. Like, it's an obstacle to your opponent, like, yeah. being able to navigate their way around. And I like that in this spell. I think, like, I looked at it, but um, I'm not. Uh, it's not worth going over 1,900 points for, in my no. opinion. Like, no, I don't. I, I would. I wouldn't trade it for a command point or for a trial. I think that starting on a, like you say, on four, four yeah. command points is is pretty immense, especially when you need it as much as you do. Yeah, the yeah, doppelganger yeah. cloak. Uh, a lot of people threw the toys out the pram when that got <laughs> FAQ'd. And yeah. Obviously, it was very, very powerful before, uh, mm. but it's still got its place. And I think that in the Double Dragon feck list, it's yep. it's it's a almost a must take. Yeah, well, I think like I think it's a, sort of a cooler item in the game now because it's not an auto take. So I think it definitely like I probably wouldn't take it now on a normal vampire lord on a zombie dragon. He's got a three up save. You give him um, a theory. Yeah. Like, that just yeah. makes sense. But I think for flesh eater courts, what's happening is that once per game is really, really crucial because of the huge amounts of damage those dragons are doing. So you go in turn one with both dragons, you're severely injuring stuff for your opponents, and they're like, okay, now it's my turn. Um, I'm going to try and hit you back. And if you can get the doppelganger cloak off and get another two activations out of that dragon, it's huge. And again, like I think what I learned in my games where I lost my dragons is it's about making sure you're hitting them with a pretty good crippling strike so that then your summoned units, because ghouls aren't very good, but your summoned units are then safe to score objectives, to move around, to do stuff, because your opponent has, you know, like when I played on Scorched Earth versus John Skaven, his scoring units were all dead. So in order for him to score with, say, a hero, he needed to kill all 20 ghouls. And because I, like, because you have that, do- like in that case, Doppelganger Cloak didn't come up, but because you can save yourself for one turn, that turn can be crucial for the, being the difference between you scoring one extra round and you're not scoring one extra round. And while you're waiting to get tabled, I think that can, like, that's definitely the difference. And if Nagash hadn't, when Nagash charged my dragon in the first game, he would have killed the dragon instantly if it wasn't for Doppelganger Cloak. And again, that allowed me to survive one extra turn and admittedly just to survive until he got immediately Hand of Dusted. But, like, that Hand of Dust could have been a different spell doing something worse, you know? So... You, you know, getting that one extra turn when you're scrambling for objective points um, is is very, very important. I think in a normal death list where maybe you're a grindier playstyle, you don't need it because, you know, you're playing a longer game in general. But for Flesh Eater Courts, you really are just sort of shocking all tactics, keep it in. And that, that one difference, uh, w- that one round of combat can definitely change the game, especially if your opponent forgets about it. That's obviously also um, a part of it is if your opponent charges in with a really good unit and you activate the doppelganger cloak then you can also maybe deny the entire activation to that unit and as opposed to before when it was on for the whole game people are more likely to forget it now yeah no i think i think so and i think um it favors uh, a good general nowadays and and yeah it's uh it's it was always a bit tricksy to use because we had questions from people saying how do I get the best out of it and this that and yeah. the other because you you had to do your math before you mm-hmm. before you threw your stuff yeah. into combat yeah, yeah, to make yeah. sure that it worked yeah. um and now not only do you have to do your maths you've got a you've got to, <laughs> you've got to think ahead and you you've got to probably yeah, know yeah. 
what the benefits are going to be. Mm-hmm. So we've spoke a lot here, obviously, because you've uh, taken the Gristle Go, and Gristle Go have been uh, big news in our little Twitterverse. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But do you see any other competitive builds there in the book? Yeah, I mean, I've so I've been testing Blisterkin recently as an alternative, and also I think maybe more fun to bring to friendly games. And I've played again versus Gary Percival's Gaben. He's obviously a good player. A lot of people know him, and um, it's definitely a strong list. I actually think versus strong shooting, Blisterkin's better, or at least because you're faster. And I was playing the Royal Mordens formation, which gives one unit a free a move in the hero phase. So I had my courtier move. Uh, 12 inches I think in the hero phase then another 12 inches then charge into a block of Jezails to just tie them up and stop them from shooting yeah, and seems... so yeah, yeah. It, w- it was far and so you have that extra movement to tie up shooting and you I mean you also have the the blisterkin artifact gives minus one to shooting and also gives you on a four up you get a command point which is obviously good for the army so I think Blisterkin is also very good, and I think maybe in shooting in matchups versus heavy shooting, it might even be better because you have the tools to get across the board faster and either tie up or you use your flares to scream off or charge, etc. into shooting units. But when I from playing the list, it plays a lot like Gristle Gore, but worse. You know, in a lot of these Blisterkin lists, you're relying on, or in my list, you're relying on your flares to carry your list, and your flares do not do as much damage as a dragon does. You know, they're no fours and threes they don't get rerolls um and it's just not the same not the same level of damage you know they went into 20 clan rats and they left i think six or seven of them all alive um who fled to battleshock but stopped them from being able to pile in again to get into those like the the warp lightning cannon the heroes that you want to be killing and i know russ veal played dead watch which was all you know i think it's six and six and three flares um and a terror geist and he went five and zero um with that and he's obviously a very good player and i wish i could have seen those games because i feel like the list plays similarly but it's harder to leverage the power out of blisterkin than it is to leverage the power out of gristlegore yeah i saw the um the final game there against richie from just play um on the stream um where he was against the the sylvaneth and yeah i think i think that the 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 fact that you can go from uh one flare on one wound or whatever it is or two yeah. wounds back up to six flares yeah. in the hero phase and then you get into shoot and you get into attack and this that and the other uh, makes a unit of six really strong and i think that could have gone very very differently if um if that last wound or two and i think it was down to one wound twice in that game that unit of six so i think if that had a if it yeah. hits off that last wound, that'd have been a very different game. But um I think they were he was he was very lucky with uh the sinister terrain as well. Oh and sinister using, yeah. yeah, using the sinister terrain, using the um the different things to to help you with the mortals in the scream phase. Yeah, I think um, it's a lot about those screams, right? Because versus death, you don't do any. Like the way that I think it's not like a lot of other things, like going from say two to three to hit. Because of the way rolling 2d6 works, you're very like the results are all very clustered around seven. So going up and down one bravery makes a huge difference. You know, you're versus bravery 10 versus death, you can't do any mortal wounds. Versus versus bravery four, a unit of six players is doing like 30 mortal wounds. So 
if you go up against Grimgast, um, I don't know how you do anything with your players. Obviously, you, you play with the Grim Garland, which is a minus two bravery aura on your Terrorgeist within six inches. So you can do stuff with that. But I think it's you're you're gonna you know sinister terrain is obviously good to use. You're gonna be a little bit matchup handicapped where if you do go up against death or demons or things like that, you are just those screams aren't going to do anything. Um, no, and but against my dryads, when yes, against my dryads, my dryads rely on minuses to hit to keep them yeah. alive. You're just ripping them to pieces yeah. with yeah, those yeah. shouts. Bravery <laughs> if they're dryads are bravery six, right? Yeah. Yeah, and so if they're within range of a Grim Garland, they're Bravery 4, and they're just they're disappearing. And what a lot uh, of people forget, and you see, um, and it's not a, a a criticism in any way, what what a lot of newer players forget when you roll these 2d6, and I used to do it with my Banshees, um, is they, they, they think that the, the plus one Bravery per 10 models, which oh, applies yeah. in the Battleshock phase, yeah. applies to things like these screams, and it doesn't. No, so you don't get you, it. No, so you're working from the natural characteristic yeah. that's then modified down from Sinister or Grim Garlands or your Legion of Blood um, things. I, me and my daughter are coming to Twin Realms and we'd, mm-hmm. we were talking about different uh, builds. And one of the ones we did was a Dreadwood combined with um, a Legion of Night where you there was a min- we got people down to minus four bravery. And the spike revenants are then doing the two d six. It's basically a scream yeah. uh, when you're within eight inches of a of a spike revenants, and uh, yeah, it it makes a big difference. And no, yeah, it's, it's every every single point because, like, if you if you have six flares, going down one bravery isn't one extra more. It's it's one extra mortal wound per flare. So when you yeah. drop one one bravery, you're looking at. Um, an extra six mortal wounds, which is a big difference. If you're taking two bravery, now you're taking an extra twelve mortal wound. And while that's very extreme, you know, it's very extreme while it's going down. It's also very extreme when it's going up. That's what makes you go. As soon as they go above bravery seven, your mortal wounds just completely drop off. And sort of, it's as also you were saying about regenerating flares. If you're fighting something that kills six flares in one turn, which is what happened to me versus Skaven, they got hit by. Um, just sort of combo charged by Thankwall and a warp steer, they all you know they all died. Um, yeah, and so <laughs> obviously if you if you can keep them alive, you know then you're like yeah okay now I'm rolling with my courtier to bring them back and that's you know then you're really getting that grind out. You're getting to attack in the hero phase with dead watch stuff like that. But I just um, it's uh, I think movement movement if you have extra movement you have movement phase shenanigans stuff like that. You're all a, a good general, like some, like obviously we saw Russ Veal do, um, is going to uh, is going to get a lot of mileage out of that. I think the movement phases in general, like that's the one where you can express the most skill. You know, like hero phase, you're casting spells. Shooting phase, target priority, which I think most people know. Like um, obviously combat, there's some small shenanigans you can do with pile-ins and clever stuff like that, but. Really, it is the movement phase where you're and movement and deployment, which is where good generals are going to shine. So, I'm sure good players will be able to get um, a lot of mileage out of Blisterkin as well. Yeah, no. So you've played them quite a lot now. Um, you've got a well, a lot. You've got a five-game tournament and a couple of practice yeah. games and friendlies. So, as a FET player, what do you most fear? So, what wouldn't you like to say? What do you least want to see opposite you on a table? Well, so I think if you're talking about like sort of anything, if you know you don't want a one drop gun line that kills both of your dragons. 
Um, you know, something like Cunning Rock. I haven't faced it, but if you know, if they just go first, they run up the board, so they're blocking off a lot of your good summoning. They're getting on objectives. They're killing both dragons. You know, you can essentially just go home then. Um, I like your your ghouls are not going to go take objectives away from e from anything that you know isn't even other ghouls. They'd probably struggle to fight against. Um, and so that would be bad. I don't think there are a lot of gunline lists out there at the moment, and a lot of them might be high drops like Skaven. So you have a chance to get across the table into their face and do you know damage them. Um, Nagash, despite facing them twice at the weekend, I don't want to face. Um, he stops you from casting a lot of your spells, which you want to be getting off. He can hand of dust your dragons, and he can debuff your dragons. In one of my combat phases before my dragon died, my dragon was minus two to hit, minus one attack. And so hitting on sixes, minus one attack to all his weapons, um, fighting grim gas who are ethereal anyways. I did literally, like, literally zero wounds um, with one round of attacks from the dragon. Obviously didn't pile in and attack a second time. Um, so it's really, I think, of the of the sort of meta stuff we see, Nagash, uh, Cunning Ruck, Marathi is going to do terrible things to your army. I got lucky when I faced Lee that it was a hero mission, and so he, he wanted to use Marathi to score, which makes sense because you want to use a hero who can't die to score one of yeah. your objectives. Um, but if we weren't playing a hero mission, he's just running Marathi to hunt my dragons. My dragons are not long for this world, so I think it's really those those matchups that you can be most scared of. But I think at least, you know, you showed at the event that it's not, that the dragons are very strong, and then it's how you back those dragons up with your summoning and your sort of your objective play after that. Because your dragons, even against other stuff, your dragons are reasonably likely to die after they've fought for a little bit. So you really got to send them in like shock troops and then just uh, focus on your summoned units and running around and scoring those. Yeah. How long do you see yourself playing them then? Do you think you're going to stick with them or now you've got yeah. a bit of a taste for them? It's an, interest, it's an interesting question. I tend to stick with armies for quite a long time because um, I feel like the longer I play it, the, the, like, the better I get, the more I can sort of learn to play in the different matchups and stuff. Um, I, quite, I quite enjoy the Flesh Eater Courts. I think part of that is because I played hard matchups where my dragons got killed. I think if I'd had five games that followed the old world where I was against, you know, if I was against something like Iron Jaws or just other only combat-based armies, I might have been a bit like, okay, well, all I do is I fight first and I fight harder and I fight twice. So there's not much going on. Um, so I think I'll play them quite a lot. And I think they, I like the fact that if I want to have a friendly game, I can play Blisterkin. I can, you know, I could play, you can even play one of the other ones that I haven't particularly looked into, Hollymourne or Morgant. And you can play that and you can have a fun game where you get to do a lot of movement and your stuff doesn't do so, so much damage that your opponent has to remove all their favorite units at once. So I think, I mean, it's po also possible that Gristlegore sort of gets figured out, the meta adapts, and people just sort of have your number a bit. And if Gristlegore are no longer like a top-tier army, and then I'd also probably just keep playing them because I think it's always more fun to play an army when not everyone plays it. So I, I think I'll probably be playing them for a while. You never know, obviously, with AOS now because there are books coming out so often. But yeah, I, I, I have no plans to sort of play them at Six Nations and then drop them immediately. And they've got one of the most likable backstories, haven't they? I mean, yeah, the, yeah. the narrative behind them is pretty engaging. <laughs> I, and I you can really enjoy it. I absolutely love it. I love that there's that one story um, with the Slanesh prince where it's like this, the, um, the Slanesh lord 
sort of comes up to an arch region and then the, even the Slanesh guy starts seeing the delusion and they're just like, yeah, at some point when these Flesh Eater Quartz guys get so old, they go so crazy that it starts actually like making the world a little bit crazy. Like it starts manifesting. I was like, that's perfect. I love that. Yeah. I tried to capture that a bit in my paint scheme where I've sort of got, I've sort of tried to get the, uh, um, like I sort of painted the units like dark and normal, like, how, you know, a lot of things. Are. And then I have these patches of just really bright gold with the sort of blended sort of pink white warp effect around them. And I sort of trying to, not particularly successfully yet, but it's a work in progress to try and capture that, like the delusion blending in with the reality. So yeah, that is, that is really good fun. Yeah, you can have a bit of fun with your opponent playing that sort of an army as well. <laughs> it's the sort where you can yeah. you can you can interact quite heavily with them and uh yeah, I like that side of a game myself. So what's next for you in terms of armies? Obviously if you're staying with that, that's not a that's 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 something for, for the year maybe, but does yeah, anything yeah. else stand out for you? Are you well, looking well, forward to any new releases or anything? Um I definitely I was very close to starting uh Gits. The Gloom Spike gets because I think I absolutely love their model range, and uh, they've got a lot of tricks which I quite enjoy. Uh, I think the reason I, one of the big reasons I didn't get them is because they reminded me a lot of my Sacrament army. It was like slow, grindy, uh, magic-based army with lots of bodies, and I was like, I don't need to play a second one of those right after I stop playing Sacrament. So I'm playing Feck for sort of a change of pace, but I can definitely see myself switching to uh, Gloom Spike gets or even um beast of chaos i've always had a soft spot for i think it'll have to wait until the time when i want to paint like 120 ungor or something <laughs> or a million bestigors but they've always got a soft spot and plus you never know these gw releases that like there are a lot there's a lot of cool stuff coming out so you never you know people are talking ko could get a new book i uh, could be tempted by that a new army like some sort of new ip that we could see i think the night haunt release was super cool I think um, Deepkin obviously was like a cool army that's made a big impact. So, and the Git stuff is awesome. So, um, I always, I, I'm always, always a little bit of a sucker for the new armies. Yeah, it's exciting times. And yeah, exactly. I mean, they they're really good at keeping the secrets at the moment. And yeah, and when they come out, they do take you by the blind side. And I can't wait to see what's next. Uh, yeah, so that should be good. So what what events can we see you at this year? What's in the calendar for I'm, you? I'm Where are you going? Well, a lot. I'll be at Bobo, and yeah, then I'm going we'll to all... that. So we'll have yeah. we'll have a, a cheeky half. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> I will also be at Heat Two, uh, the GW Heat Two. Now that I'm sort of down near the Warhammer World, and then I will also be yeah Twin Twin Realms for the doubles. And you're so teaming think... with the Zinchian Harper, aren't yeah. you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to do some Zinch shenanigans. Originally, it was going to be Night Haunt and Zinch for some, maybe some cheeky 10-inch charge shenanigans or something like that. But it'll, it'll probably just be some sort of feck thing now just to keep up, keep up the practice. But yeah, that's the lined up. And then, obviously, Six Nations is next. So it'll be a lot of, lot of Flesh Eater Quartz practice, basically, um, yeah. up until Six Nations. And then okay. obviously Northern Invasion. Oh well, after that. it goes without saying. There you go. It's uh, it it should be a fun one. I'm hoping it, it's all going well. I think we've got three tickets left. I've not been pushing them very much, but yeah, yeah, we're yeah. Done. Well, also, it's still quite a ways, right? Yeah, it's still yeah, it's a good four months away or something. So, yeah. ah, it's good fun. It should be. It should be a lot. I mean, yeah, it's great last year. So. 
I know that a fair few of our listeners are pretty new to the scene, um, tournament scene anyway. Um, so what are the best tips or advice you could give to someone who wants to improve the game? Have you got anything there that's uh, that's uh, a bit of gold to give to somebody? <laughs> <laughs> well, what I would say, um, I say there are a couple of things that I try and keep in mind. One is like, um, sort of, I'll start with the less important one maybe. One is that... Um, I often try to like have a game plan and then stick to it sort of regardless, even if I don't know how good it is, I just try and stick to it. Cause I think it's easy to come up with a game plan and then you see the table and you sort of lose faith in yourself. You're like, Oh, but I'm scared of this. I'm scared of this. And often you should just trust your gut. And if your game plan before was hang back, you should hang back. If your game plan before was run it, you know, run everything forward, run everything forward. And I think a lot of times if having a game plan and sticking to it can sort of carry you through a game because your opponent, maybe they make some mistakes or they're intimidated by your commitment or anything like that. And that can often carry you through um, the other games. And then the second thing, which I think is maybe more important is, and I think also maybe applies to FEC a lot, is like just try and do stuff with all your units. Like you keeping stuff safe, I think is something that people tend to do a lot. And a lot of times that just means the unit's not doing anything. Like it is, if you have 10 ghouls who are sitting not on an objective, or not on a contested objective, and you run them into a combat, and it's the wrong combat, and they all die, that really probably doesn't matter that much. If you're, if all your units are fighting all some enemy units, like you're getting some sort of value. They're going to do more than zero damage a lot of the time. You're going to get some value out of that unit doing something. So run your stuff onto objectives, run your stuff into combat, even if it's just like, you know, even if it's, you know, a unit that you're like, oh, it's not very important. I think just look at all your units, move them in the movement phase, try and fight them in the fighting phase, especially with flesh eater courts. Like, go forward, push it forward, and try and kill stuff. That's well, what you're. That's, that's pretty sound. I mean, <laughs> is there any phase or consideration? I mean, is there any particular phase that you think's the most important? What What do you really think about? Is there any? Yeah, I would say. I would say, I mean, deployment is probably the most important like set of decisions you're going to make because obviously everything's going to flow from that. If you deploy, you know, all your black knights on the right side of the table and then turn one, realize you need them on the left side of the table, it doesn't matter. Like no amount of strategy is going to save you there. Your black knights are 75 inches away from where they need to be. So I would say you want to focus a lot on deploying stuff in the way you want. And then after that, like, if you've deployed wrong, it doesn't matter. You've got to forget about that. You're playing the game. After that, I'd say it's about your movement phase. Just move your units towards where you want them to go. Like, you you maybe, like, you want to try and think about what's going to win you the game. So, like, you're playing versus Nagash. He's ethereal. You're never going to kill him. You just ignore him. You're like, look, it doesn't matter. They they might as well not have a Nagash because I can't, I can't interact with him. So I'm going to ignore him. Yes, he might hand of dust both my dragons off because I can never, ever pick the hand with the dice in it. But it doesn't matter because you can't play around it. If you don't have a way to kill him, there's no point thinking about it. You go do something else. You play the objectives. If you can't kill the 38 Grimgas, you run under an objective. I think it's just, you you know, sort of move your guys to the places, play around what you can play around, and and then just see it. Because, you know, your dice, sometimes your dice will just carry you. You know, you roll all sixes on your saves, you'll win every priority, and you'll win games that you never should have won. You know, or your opponent makes some mistake. They don't see some play that you were thinking of. And I think if you just you play aggressive, you push under objectives, you force your opponent to make the hard decisions, that'll that'll get you through with a little bit of luck. Oh, definitely. What what you say there? A lot of games are won or lost in deployment phase. What mm-hmm. what what goes through your mind 
as you you go into deployment and as that phase unfolds do you do you have i mean do you are you one of those people who who has a little almost a, a playbook where you know where you're going to put your particular units in an ideal situation for each scenario or do you just go to it cold and just react what how do, how do you yeah. approach it so i think with the um when i played my sacrament list i had so many bodies that i sort of was limited in my deployment you know i had 60 grim gas where there wasn't that many places to go with flesh eater courts i think it's a little bit more it's it's like a you know it's it's half winging it half a constrained problem. I know that my dragons need to basically be in range of my small heroes to get buffs on turn one. I also know that my dragons need to be you know as close to if I'm going first, for example, I need to, they need to be on my deployment line because I'm getting them as far across. And then after that, I'd say your deployment, what you you definitely like a fairly basic tip is that put down your bad units first. So if you're like oh I've got an objective in my back line and I've got a unit of 10 ghouls that I'm going to use to score it. Put that down first. Let your opponent put something else down. You know, you want ideally your opponent to be putting down their important units before yours. So that'll inform your decision. Um, and again, sort of tying in what, to what I was saying before, if you're not sure like where to put stuff, then the, like generally a safe thing to do is put your like big heavy monsters or big heavy units. You want them near the front and maybe behind a small screen. You, it's sort of pretty hard to go wrong if you have like, you know, your dragon behind 10 ghouls on your front line, you know, regardless of sort of what happens there, most armies, that'll, that'll keep you safe. Obviously, maybe you're against a double pile in thing. Maybe you're against eels who have mortal wounds that maybe you think of. But in general, a solid plan is deploy up front, maybe with a screen if you're going second. If you're going first, just deploy up front and all guns blazing. Um, but I'd say I'm, in general, I'm quite a reactive player where I'll try and deploy my dead drops first and then try and see what my opponent's strategy is and then play around that and make sure i have stuff available like deployed to get on um any objectives i might have to get on nice so well that's uh that's pretty much uh covering most of the things i wanted to well all of the things i wanted to cover is there anything that <laughs> any questions for us i mean i know that you've only got myself at the moment but is there anything you want to hear more about from us or anything in particular you want us to cover in future um, episodes well i guess i guess i think one thing that'll be interesting to hear is like what people do think of Gore and flesh eater courts in in the meta because obviously i'm sort of biased especially because a bunch of my games my dragons instantly died um but it's easy to be like yeah you know all you do is you charge the general with two really good fighting units both of which don't die and and will both kill the general you know like sometimes you won't have you won't be set up to do that or you know those battle plans you know so i think that's something i'm looking forward to obviously the expert minds at uh northern invasion is is the ones i most want to hear that, well that's not me so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i mean basically yeah. I, i've spent my, ne my next five months of hobby budget on a caradron overlord's army yeah so well, that, that's how i'm dealing off, with it shoot off the dragons on turn one <laughs> exactly so um, no that's that's gonna be my slow group is are you thinking of taking part in that is there anything uh, yes what's the deal exactly with the slow grow well is it <laughs> We basically, uh, by the end of June, you need to have 500 points of an army painted. Okay. Then we're doing 250 points uh, per month after that for the end of the month. Um, 
and then come January, you'll have a nice shiny new armor to play with should you want to. And um, we're going to do it. We're going to do a free narrative event for everybody who takes part. So. Oh, and so when will the event be? Uh, I think it depends. Um, it mm-hmm. depends at the moment whether or not we align it with Hammer of the North and have it okay, as yeah. the Sunday. Oh. But it's probably going to be in February next year at Common Ground Games instead. Yeah, no, I could probably be tempted by that. I swear, any any excuse to go give Games Workshop my money, and <laughs> it's it's deadly. It's deadly. So yeah, I could be t- maybe maybe a slow grow Gits army could get me. Get me going. There you go. I think we've got three people building gets. We've got no. one doing a squiggle anch <laughs> and two trog herds being built. Oh, wow. so. so maybe I can take the the got the actual grots. Yeah, because everybody wants to paint <laughs> that many grots. <laughs> well, at least if you do it in a slow grow, you can just paint forty grots a month, and then in one year you'll have two hundred points of grots. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> everybody <laughs> needs the grots. No, I think that this list's there. I think that the grots are a good army. It's a uh, I used to love playing green skins back in eighth, and I played it yeah. early on. I used to love animosity because oh, yeah. for me, <laughs> it, it's a lot like the way Skaven are now, where you never know whether or not yeah. what you want it to do, uh-huh. whether it's going to do it. I mean, it could easily just just as easily attack its friends than than do what you want it to do, <laughs> uh, or fail a stupidity roll, or blow up as a as a piece of artillery it was amazing i loved it i think it's just lacking that now they, they seem a little bit too a bit too sharp for me but uh, yeah. you won't say that when you roll three ones for the movement on your mangler boss yeah yeah probably right <laughs> <laughs> so so here's your last question and the most okay. important question oh, yeah, yeah. here we go right on the spot so what's your outro music gonna be jp oh my god this what is the hard question yeah um let me see. Flesh Eater Court's best music. Um, Alexa, what should I play? <laughs> zombie music. Let's listen to that. Um, all right, let's do the Cranberries zombie. There we go. There it is. Choice made. Well, thank you very much, JP. Um, I look forward to um, to getting your best sports vote at, um, <laughs> at Twin Realms. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. No, thank you very much for having me. No, no, thanks a lot. And I'll see you at Bobo for sure as well. <laughs> Get you there, man. All right. Cheers for that. Thanks a lot. See ya. See ya. Now, of course, I could do the honourable thing and I could play JP's outro music, but to be honest, it's just... <sighs> I will play... Uh, yeah, we will play uh, the Cranberries. It's a decent enough tune. But first of all... Um, if you want to go straight to that, just skip forward a few minutes, maybe nine. Um, otherwise, I'm going to take this opportunity to play uh, to play something zombie-related that I obviously don't get to play very often. So if you want to stick to it, if you're driving and you can't hit the stop button, tough luck. You're listening to my 90s music now. So here you go, folks. Have a little bit of white zombie before we get to the cranberries. Cheers, JP. <coughs> Ecstasy ain't over there. We're riding on the wall, stone up to stand. Happy 